0: Thank you, Paul and Leslie. How's everyone doing today? About three of you are doing good. We'll work on the rest of you. Uh, That's not fair. We'll work on that too. All right, let's go to uh, take your Bibles this afternoon and turn with me to uh, the book of Luke once again. Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, and I think it's, we'll go ahead and, uh, we're going to read from verse 1 through verse 21, Luke chapter 12, beginning now at verse 1, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable, Multitude of people, insomuch that they trode one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware you of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear. In closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which, after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yes, I say unto him, I'm sorry, yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. When they bring you into the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take you no thought how and what thing you shall answer, or what you shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself, and is not rich toward God. And may God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us bow in prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, again we come into your presence, thanking you for you being with us. We thank you, Father, for the Word of God, a platform, a foundation, knowing that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, as He spoke to men, to write the words that you desired. Father, to have the full written word at our at our really at our pleasure. We can have it at our any time to dispense your wisdom, to read it, to meditate, to take it in is truly a privilege. Father, we'll pray for the guidance of it to go out today, that it would, it would be honored, Father, that uh, the recipients, those that have come out and, f- and see the importance of worshiping you, Father, and praising your name, we ask that they would be blessed as well for their, for their diligence in being here. And Father, may you have a teacher today, be exclusively the Holy Spirit. We rest on you. Our weaknesses, Father, is how you make us strong. Because you infiltrate us from the very depths of our being with the Holy Spirit when we've trusted Christ as Savior. Father, now we give you these moments with anticipation, teaching, guiding, and directing our lives. Again, asking the Spirit to guide and direct us. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as, we, uh, as we've as we read this passage uh, again today, um, verse 13 and on was a parable that... Or an episode, I better say it that way, an episode that Jesus was teaching to tens of thousands. And... Uh, Last week, we talked about, has anyone been in the presence of multiple thousands of people? I was actually trying to think of a place that I was. Um, I, I remember once it was, I can't even think of the name, it was in Boise. Um, I remember some years back, there was, a, oh, what was the name of that? Uh, were men, it was kind of a, oh uh, what Prom- that is it, it's Promise Keepers, yeah. And I, I attended with a friend of mine that, he used to work for my father years ago, and we drove to Boise, and it was it was it was a really big event. And to just listen, to just listen to the singing, was amazing. I, I remember that part of it, and it was it was overwhelming. It was a, it was a really strong spiritual adventure, it really was. It, there was a lot of renewing going on, and I, I'm just thinking about thousands and tens of thousands of people that are following Jesus, and you think of our little town of Sheridan. What is the population in Sheridan? 600? 800. Okay, 800. Let's take that times a lot. And they're all, And by the way, they're all interested in following Jesus, not necessarily for all the right reasons. Um, one of the reasons, oh, by, by the way, it's interesting, uh, In this, that crowd that was following him on that day is very comparable to how there's followers of Jesus today. They would rather have Jesus serve them than save them. What can Jesus do for me? There was a whole, I think, the multitude of those people that were there on that day. Got, and and you, the scripture says it, it was so busy, they were treading or walking on top of one another. And you can imagine, there wasn't a lot of PA systems back then, right? And Jesus, I'm sure, had a voice that was very loud and would have carried. But nonetheless, just imagine the multitude of people that would have been in that place on that day. But it's also interesting that he was not nearly as interested in the whole mass of people that were there as much as he was to the ones that hadn't made up their mind yet. What do I mean? One of the things that continued to plague him as his ministry over those three years um, started rather slowly, and he chose some disciples that were close followers of him. As time went on, the Sadducees and Pharisees were, they were bothered by what this Jesus was bringing. He was really looking at internal matters. He was not necessarily concerned as much with the external things of which they were extremely high on. And so here we have an opening sentence, and we've been over this last week and even the week before we talked about it. But his opening line to this massive crowd was, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Oh, that's a way to divide the crowd right away, right? Boom. That's like dropping the hammer. Because the other thing you need to understand is all all of those people there, those tens of thousands of people were there, and they understood the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes very, very well because they were the religious leaders. There's no question that they respected them because they had to. If you wanted to be anybody in the sense of having a spiritual experience in Israel, you needed to obey them. And they were afraid of them. But as time went on, they could see this animosity that was continuing to just, it was, it, was, it was a duel. It was almost like a match. And the Pharisees had come and their whole motive was to trick Jesus, to trap him, and for him to say something of which they could take away and then literally take him to the woods. Or end his life. At this point now, they truly are trying to destroy Jesus, not just his reputation, literally to kill him. And these people are standing back. I'm saying the masses are standing back watching all of this. In fact, what's beginning to take place now is they are <clears throat> backing the Pharisees because they're fearful of men. They're fearful of those that they live in contact with. Jesus is one guy. And he's got some cool stuff. He feeds a lot of people at once with nothing. You know, somebody's got a McDonald's sack, and he multiplies it and it feeds 5,000. I want to hang around that kind of guy. And there's people who are saying that, right? And he could do stuff that was great. You know, there was people that were healed. And those signs and wonders were done for the sake of those that were still not fixed on what and who is this guy. And Jesus is spending all of his time, he's really just narrowing, everyone's there to listen, but he's really narrowing it on those disciples. He calls them disciples, but they're literally not his close disciples, that is followers of Christ, but learners. That's the Greek word. It's actually a learner. Those that he wanted to just address and give them information about himself and about the tie together. And the first thing he says is beware of hypocrisy. How many of you like hypocrisy? The answer is no. You guys are scared to say that. But who likes to be pretended? Who likes to be lied to? Who likes to be set up? Uh, Who likes fiction when it's presented as being fact? No one. When When you're told a lie, how do you feel when you've found out that you believed it to be true and it's not? There's nothing good about any of that, is there? And that's what Jesus is saying. These Pharisees are literally telling you that they know the way to God. They know God, but they don't. They say they know the truth, but they don't. And he said, you need to fear the one that can literally take your life, not those that can just say bad things about you. There's only two bewares. We talked about this last week, and that's what we're going to look at the second one today. There's two bewares in this passage of Scripture. That he has thousands, tens of thousands of people following him. One is to beware of hypocrisy, that is, on a spiritual level. And then he picks one other thing, which seems almost odd. He says, beware of covetousness or greed. And you think, well, why would you just pick those two off the wall? Isn't there like a long list he could have chosen? Well, literally, there are two realms. One is spiritual and material. Hypocrisy is obviously in the, scent, in the, in the, the vein that he would have attacked it would have been from a spiritual mindset. You get that wrong, I'm telling you, you are on the wrong road because all affairs is about a works program. It's not about, you don't want to trust Jesus. And then then he was very careful to say, you know what, you say you've gotten to God, but you can't get to God unless you come through me, the Son. And you can't even get through the Son, get to the Son, unless it's through the Holy Spirit. And he laid that out so amazing. And in fact, it must have just, I would have had to have thought, it would have stifled the thought process of especially the religious leaders being there. And then out of the blue, see, I've all, you know, you've all heard of the rich fool, right? The parable that we're going to talk about today, you know. And in the context of it, it was it really never hit me till last week. I mean, here's Jesus teaching these tens of thousands of people, and he he has this. I mean, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing study to say, you know what, speaking to the Pharisee, you your God is really not the God God the Father. I'm, I'm God the Son, who are equal. And the God the Holy Spirit is the only way you can get to me, and I'm the only way you can get to the Father, for I am the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes on the Father except through me. That must have just boiled them. Chaffed their hide. And in all of the midst of that powerful segment of just laying that out, someone entrenched, scoped to the nth on materialism says, just out of the blue says, that's what blows my mind, verse 13. This this truly is the context. Let's go to your scriptures once again if you have them. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Just right out of the blue, and one of the company, one of this crowd said unto him, "Uh, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Where where did that come from and what we were talking about? Have you ever had someone question you about something that had nothing to do with what we were just discussing in a long... Involved discussion, yeah, and you're kind of smiling too. What, what, where was that coming from? Well, this came from someone that was not listening at all to what Jesus had said. His mind was on the physical. It was on the material. As Jesus had spoke to hypocrisy in the spiritual realm, the other realm is that of materialism, or of the natural sequence of everything else that's around you that you feel touch. And materialism, that word can mean a couple of different things, obviously. Uh, there's actually a mindset philosophically about materialism, and that is that it sit, everything that you see is only what you see. It consists only of matter. There is no God. There is no supernatural. There's nothing of that nature. And then there's a mindset, there's a philosophy that flows after that. Obviously, that seems to be rather short-sighted. But it's not that much different from the sense of a true materialist, and that was their life is, can total, is totally consumed by having more and more of stuff. And Jesus, I want to I show you... I must have almost caught Jesus, Jesus who knows everything... He's teaching, and he's, and he's hit a climax. He said, you don't even need to worry about being in the midst of an enemy's place. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Uh, Jesus, uh, could you tell my brother to split our inheritance? I'm really sick of this guy. Missed that one, right? What did Jesus say? Oh. He, it's interesting. He, he doesn't... You know, it's almost like this is one time he doesn't even discuss with this individual throughout that because there's no point in talking about it. There wouldn't be anything that he could have told him that he would have gotten to him. He was so entrenched. So what does he say? He says to the crowd, let's go to our text now. Verse 13 again, one of the company said, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, and he said unto him, Man, or friend, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Now let's stop there for a second. Uh, one of the things, probably the reason that this man came to this meeting was many would have addressed Jesus as a rabbi. Okay? Remember Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee? Uh, that's how he addressed Jesus on that night that he chose to go find out more about Jesus. He said, rabbi. In other words, that's, that's, a, that's a, a title of honor or of a teacher. And the rabbis, those religious leaders in that, that was one of the jobs they did. When you couldn't come to a conclusion in a family matter... You went to the rabbi, and he's the one that sorted through it. Now, the interesting part, again, there was all kinds of inheritance laws. Now, did you notice the one? We don't know if he was the oldest son. We don't know if he's the youngest son. We don't even know if he was a son. We just know, well, yes, he had to be a son, obviously. But at the same point, what I'm saying between these two, what was it that qualified him to have the division of the inheritance? He says nothing of that matter. And Jesus says, wait a minute. That's not really why we're here. That's really what he said. We're really not here to discuss that. But then he says this. This statement is powerful, overwhelming. Verse 15. He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. He's laid this out. This is the second beware in this chapter. That on the natural or the non-spiritual realm, beware, guard against covetousness. What is covetousness? If someone came to you, just as I am right now, and asked you, what is covetousness? Could you define covetousness to me? And there's a, the, one of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt not covet. So Jesus is saying, now, it, it's, you know, he doesn't even have to say to this guy, right? He's so there. He is so entrenched. This, this is a classic example people, you, that are all listening, tens of thousands, beware of covetousness. This would be a prime example. The guy that just said that. I mean, he's just locked into it. So tell me, now, what would covetousness, there's a lot of words that we can find. What would you say? Excuse me? Want, 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 in many cases, that's even what drives it to another level, and that we could call some sense uh, jealousy or envy is, becomes because if someone else has it, I want it more. And you know what I'm talking about, right? That even, makes it, that even heightens the level. And, and most of the crimes that are committed, literally... Many of it comes right from here that I deserve that. That is mine. It's be- and, and especially if someone else has it and I can't have it, That just the motive becomes intensely accelerated in all of that. What else could we say? What's another word we could use for it? Desire. Okay, that's good. Intense desire, I would even say that. What else? Greed. greed. How many different forms of greed are there? What is greed? What more? More than you need. need. That's an interesting way. Now, if you ask someone that was greedy, do you have as much as you need, what would they say? Why not? (laughs) You need more. It's almost like, um... well, you know better than to do that, but let's say that you're stranded on a lifeboat in the middle of the ocean. And you need a drink of water. And you say, well, there's water all over the place. <laughs> you hope it rains. What's wrong with having a drink of salt water? How does he do that? And the more you drink, the more you want, and the quicker you die. That probably is the best analogy that I can think of for greed. It's just like drinking salt water. You take the first swig, and you immediately need more, and more, and more, and more, and you know what? The end result is exactly the same. Loss of life. Greed. Now, in in fact, there's another word you haven't said yet, because it usually isn't said. See, so far you guys have seen wanting things, desiring things, uh, uh, lusting after things, greed. Uh, Now, the other thing that we could say is, now, one of... What was it? Four, five, six weeks I lose track of time. One of the, we, had a, we had a couple of messages on contentment. Someone that is entrenched in greed can't be content. It's impossible because there's just a continual surging to be satisfied and yearning and wanting more and more and more. I often speak of, this is the part that'll throw you, that throws us though. Oftentimes we think of the John uh, Rockefellers. John D. Rockefeller was in his eighties. Couldn't have spent the money he had amassed. And that was when a million dollars was worth a million dollars. It's not like today, it's just, you know, it, really it really can you can you imagine? Like a million dollars back in like uh, the forties or fifties? That was a lot of that was a lot of money. Okay? Today, a million dollars? It doesn't go anywhere. Right? I was just reading at the Rockefeller exactly, <coughs> we built the Gates that had 120 billion that Rockefeller would have had to put into a Billion. Okay, think of that now. In in the in the like manner, uh, 120 billion. billion actually, in the day and age which John D was asked the question, would have been worth 400 billion today. Now, billion—that's hard. How many of you are a billionaire today? One billion is a thousand million. Oh, and you said 400, so that's 400 thousand million. Ah! But you know what? He wasn't any happier because when they asked him, this journalist asked, How much? John is enough. His answer was just a little bit more. That is the epitome of greed. But here's the thing that scares us: there are men and women that have been given, and I'm saying given because it's God that has given massive amounts of wealth, and they're not greedy. They're content. With what they have. In fact, to have an, an enormous amount of wealth is actually, in one way, a difficult thing to have. At least to be a good steward of it, to use it thoughtfully, wisely, and without letting it own you. That's the trick. But there's, as, there's many more people that are actually more uh, guilty of greed that don't have any wealth. It's the desire to get it. They, spend, they say that the average person is spending half of his time thinking about money. Half of your life is spent thinking about money. That's a little bit out of character, isn't it? Is that the way God would want it? No. So what I'm leading, you see what I've done? I've led you, hopefully, to the point where we could say that, that greed is actually... Where did, my, where did my good one go? I'll try this one. We're going to go to a passage of scripture and we're going to find it. If you were going to answer that greed equals what? Let's go to Colossians. Hold your place in Luke. Let's go to Colossians chapter 5. Colossians chapter 5. And let's look what Paul likens it to. Colossians chapter 5. I think I'm right. That's not going to work out for us, is it? Those of you that are in Colossians. uh, Let's try Ephesians chapter 5. Yeah, that'll work. Ephesians. Oh, I know where I wanted to go. We're going to do them both. Uh, I'll go back. But Ephesians chapter 5. Are you all there? Ephesians 5 and verse 5. For this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Turn back to Colossians. I'm sorry. We'll go to chapter 3 this time. We'll find that. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. And listen carefully. Mortifier, put to death. Therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, did you see that on two different occasions? Greed is said that it's idolatry. Now, what does that have to do with idolatry? What what what's what's he getting at there? What's Paul trying to make sure we understand totally? We are literally replacing the worship of God with the worship of anything that we're that we're really. I, I, I watch in at the higher places where there's more power and there's more money. There is less satisfaction there than, 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 than ever. Washington, D.C. in the last number of months, weeks. It's, it's, it blows my mind. And, and then it's from fear and greed. Those two things literally, and you know what? That's exactly what Jesus picked two bewares out of. He said, beware of hypocrisy, which literally then we're fearing men above the fearing of God. And then the other one is greed. Beware of covetousness or greed. Those are the two things today that are literally ruling in Washington, D.C. At every level. And that's why we've replaced God. America today has replaced God. Let me show, let me show you another passage of Scripture that fits this very well. It's going to be a little later, but it came to my mind right now. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. is If this is not true, think... Now, again, I want you to... As we're going to go through this rich fool parable that Jesus unfolds, I want us to sometimes just slip into the sandals of this man that came up with this problem, this dilemma for Jesus, saying, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. As Jesus is unfolding this, what do you think is going through his mind? That's what I want to keep, keep doing that. But here we go. We're in Romans chapter 1. And think of this. Verse 25. Uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through the end of the, the chapter, chapter is really... Uh, it's, it's so depictive of where we are in America. But verse 25, particularly today. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Everything, now that's one thing, is God has created the whole cosmos, the entire universe, everything that we know, and especially particularly this planet. Everything that you have has come from, literally, this place that God created. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? All of the stuff you need, all of the stuff that is greed, all of those things literally come from this planet. Amazing how God put that thing together, isn't it? It just blows my mind. But it's amazing now today, and especially this young man, he is in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he has just unfolded to him how to become saved, how to get to God the Father, how to find God the Son is through the Holy Spirit. And he says, Jesus, I want you to tell my brother to divide my inheritance. Missed it. Boom. Greed was what? That was his God. It's totally God. And now Jesus is unfolding this whole... He's unpacking this. And this young man, I'm saying is a young man, but I don't know that. But he's, he's, he's taking this in. And I'm just wondering, what is he thinking? What is he thinking? Let's go back to Luke chapter 12. One of the things we want to see as we unfold the story now, he's going to begin this parable. What's a parable? How many of you speak to your kids or other people in parables? Do you go down to the Napa store and do a parable? Or Paul, when somebody comes into the bank, do you give him a parable about... The money or how? I hear, I hear quite a bit. Oh, you hear parables. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, they aren't parables. Oh, <laughs> They're stories. They're stories, yes. What's the difference between a story and a parable? What is a parable? Jesus spoke in parables a lot, didn't he? He, had, he, had, he, not, he didn't tell stories. He told parables, didn't he? What's, what is a parable? I have, actually. I have. And actually, yeah. behind that, if you, if you want to just even pull the curtains back a little bit more, it would be like giving a heavenly principle using an earthly story to give more credence to what he's talking about. Because so right now, do you, know, do you know what Jesus has said so far to, the young, to this man that wants to have his inheritance divided with his brother, his, his filthy, divisive, selfish brother that won't share with him? Nothing has gotten through yet. So what he's going to do now is he's going to set up a parable. He's going to give a principle of a story that will bring to light the things that are really, really important. Okay, So watch this go now. It actually goes rather quickly. In verse 16, he said, I, He spoke a parable unto them. This is a whole crowd saying, the, pe- the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Stop. Do you sense any problems yet? It's beautiful. It's absolutely in the farmer and me. I am turned on. That is so good to have a piece of dirt and you get the water and you get the fertilizer, you get the seed and it produces plentifully. In fact, that word is actually, we've, we've achieved a word in our English word from the one that is translated from the Greek. That says, that says plentifully in in the English is euphoria. Have you ever been euphoric about an, you know what, to watch, to watch a tremendous crop that God has given, by the way, God gave the rain. God gives the water. God gives the, the warmth God gives the right growing degree units. He gives the right everything, and there it is. And there's a euphoric. I'm, it is. I'm a farmer. I'm a rancher. I'm an ag guy. Love to see that stuff. It just cranks it, doesn't it? Just makes it happen. Anything wrong so far? Has he cheated anybody? The rich guy. Nope. Uh, anything unlawful Any extortion? Any lying, cheating? No. Just quite honestly, just lays it out. Beautiful crop coming in. A bump. A bump crop. Remember. Bumper crops. Those bumper crops, and when we were in North Dakota, there was always one coming. There was never one we experienced. There was one coming. I often list. There's a. What's that? Uh, the uh, the guy in Miles City, friends of ours. I can't think of his name. Wally. Um, he has the, the cartoon. What, what's the name of that one? Ah. Uh, we get. We had get, Yeah, the one we make calendars. We, we have to make calendars for it. What? Uh, I, for whatever reason, I got far side in my head, and that's not it. Earl. Earl and earl's this this old broken down cowboy right and there's there's my favorite one that wally ever put together as it was on the fridge until it literally just fell off i mean it just crumbled right i got to get another one but here's here's earl and he's riding this old horse and he's skinny and the snow's coming sideways you know it's a blizzard and it's blowing he's got about five or six skinny cows in front of him you know they're just plodding along and it is a a non fun day you can just see it doesn't mention that but he's just sitting there and earl says to himself Yeah, he says, uh, I can only remember two good years ranching. Uh, Next year, uh, and I can't remember the other one. (laughs) That's kind of the way it is, isn't it? Those bumper crops are always... But you know what? Stated clearly here, this one was a record breaker. It was unbelievable. It was perfect. And a rich man had this. So that's his dilemma. Now, what would you, again, I want you to, as we're unfolding this story, Jesus was trying to get people involved in this story. He was trying to just kind of suck them in. That's what parables do. So here he's got them, and he lays it in. So now, have you heard this? That's a dilemma? The guy's got a great big crop, and he doesn't know what to do with it? Are you kidding me? I wish I had that problem. Have you ever had... Someone say that when someone has a huge amount of knowledge and they don't know what to do with it? Well, I wish I had that problem, right? Okay. Do you you see where we're kind of getting to? That's almost like that's a willful, wishful desire that has almost got us. You see? And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, but what I'm telling you, greed is so amazingly deceptive in how it can just get into the finest crevices in our thinking to literally take control of us. He sets it up. What do you think the young man is? I keep calling him a young man. Let's just call him a young man so I feel good about calling him a young man. He's in the crowd, and Jesus says, There's this rich man, and he had a bumper crop. Oh, man. Do you see what he's doing? He's counting dollar signs. That's the dilemma. How, do we, what would, how would we respond to that? How would you respond to that? How is it when we respond to something that's went very well? Calf crop was amazing, calf prices are amazing, wheat prices are amazing we got a tremendous crop. What do we do? Let's watch what this guy did. Verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He doesn't have any place to put this wonderful crop. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns, and I will build great... I'm sorry, I didn't want to add another one. And build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In those three verses, if you're counting, depends on which version you're probably running with, how many times does he mention I or my? Enough. Did somebody say enough? That's a good answer. It's probably 11 or 12 times in those few verses. Who is he consulting with? Himself. I would have even appreciated, and I visited with my wife. Or I visited with my family. Or I visited at the coffee shop. Or I visited with somebody other than myself. Those parties that have me, myself, and I at them, they're going to be very skewed in thought processes. What did I and my decide to do? Build bigger barns. Tear down the ones that are there and make them bigger. In fact, I've, I, that has always bothered me. I, I read a commentary today. I don't know if I agree with it or not, but it sounds good. Because for me, now I'm just thinking, why would you want to tear down something? Yeah, see, that's me. That's, that's the, I mean, why don't you just, if you, you're going to add on, add on. or Right? But someone said this. Obviously, the ground that he has, did you see what was painted on that, on that picture? Did, how much did that rich man have to do with that crop? Not very much. Yes, he, was due, he, he would have put the crop in, but it was the land that God made, that God made produce plentifully. And so the thought process, well, why would you take up any more of the land that's so productive by putting additional buildings on? Maybe, so he just went higher, right? I don't know. But the point of the matter is, did you see how much God entered in any of his thought processes? That is where greed lives really, really big. Really big. There's no room for God in greed. There's not even a, a small g when you got greed. There's no place for him. None. Zero zip. That's why that young man that asked to have his inheritance split, he could, have cared, he could have cared less what Jesus was talking about. You know, I'm, I'm here because I need you. I need you to split this up so I can get on with my life. And that's about what this rich man, this rich man was totally convinced the only person in the universe worth thinking about, dealing with, being concerned about in any way, shape, or form was himself. Himself. No thanks. And then he even looked forward to the fact, um, he talks to his soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I have a feeling that there would have been people in that crowd thinking, That is so awesome to have that much goods laid up that we don't have to worry about nothing. It's just Pleasure City, Pleasure Street. Now, did you see it wasn't only... I want, you to, I want to point something out to you. I thought this was interesting. Um, verse 18, he's got the dilemma. What am I going to do? I don't have enough room for this new crop. Verse 18, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits. That's the new crop and my goods. What do you think his goods are? That's actually the first reference in the New Testament to a storage unit. As we drive across the country, I don't care if it's in Montana, New Hampshire, which I haven't been to New Hampshire, but I'm sure they have storage facilities, storage units. I think it's the one thing that has probably expanded beyond belief in the last 15 to 20 years. Anyone that builds one, as soon as they get it filled, they build another one. And it takes about two years, depending on where you're at, obviously. And you build another one. And you build another one. And you got to wonder, what is so impressive and important in that place that's locked up that we don't need, hard to get to, and we probably haven't got it paid for yet? That is a pretty good example of what's going on in this man's life and literally across our country. America is a blessed, blessed, blessed nation. We have more stuff than we can even possibly imagine. When we talk about being having our needs met, it's literally just... It's a luxury for many people in third world countries or in Africa, in particular. I'm thinking of that they don't have enough food for the day when they wake up. Breakfast is if they have enough if they have something for breakfast. I'm talking something, not not looking through a menu to see if we have stuff that we can choose what we want. No, no, no. I'm talking about having anything to eat for breakfast. That's a golden day. The rest of the day is it's almost that's awesome. We can actually think about that. There's a lot of them that start out with zero in the morning. Retirement plans, 401Ks, they wouldn't even have a clue. Do you see see what I'm saying? We aren't even in a position to understand what truly needful is. We are on the page, really. We would be right there with that rich man. We have more than we can imagine. And what does, it do? what does it drive us to do? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. That's why we need to go through this pretty carefully because the two things that Jesus said to beware of tens of thousands of people, beware of pretending about spiritual things, hypocrisy, and beware of greed in all of its forms, all of its covetousness, all idolatry, all of those things, those are the two, you beware of that, and it'll get you on the track to salvation and eternal life. Now, he said something, I want to come back to it for a moment verse 15, let's go back to that for just a second. We're about to see the power punch in verse 20, but let's go back to 15. He says, Take heed, be careful, guard against, and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. He's saying this. That word life actually is one that is spelled Zoe. 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 That's the Greek word, and it means to actually be all that life is, and it has a picture of eternal life. You know what? There is, you could have all of the possessions in the whole world. If you took possessions from everyone else on this planet, it would not give you eternal life. You couldn't buy it. Therefore, it's pointless. That's what Jesus is saying. He said all of the possessions, you can write them all down, put them all in a list behind your name, and there are yours, and it means literally your life does not consist of that. Now, that's not to say that we should be frivolous. That's not to say we shouldn't be in the sense of at least planning and taking care and being a steward of what God has given us. But as soon as it grabs us, as soon as it takes control of us, is taking more time than the time we have. I've kept this word idolatry up here because that, that's what John said in his last verse in the, fir, in the epistle of 1 John, beware of idols, little children. Little children, beware of idols. Anything that takes the place of God. Isn't it amazing how easy things can take the place of God? I'm too busy to worship God. I'm too busy to read the Bible. I'm too busy to... What has that just said to us? It says a lot, doesn't it? It says a lot. That would have to be somewhere when we're saying whatever it was that we were too busy to do is more important than God. And that's why Jesus said, beware. Beware. Be on guard about God because it's so monstrous. And again, I want to be careful to say this again. If you're here today and you have $10,000,000,000 or $10,000,000 in your bank... That's not a problem. He's not saying that. But what he called a rich fool was the fact that the riches owned the man. That's foolish. Because there's three things that this man forgot. So far we've come through verse 19. There are three things in this little dilemma. We have a rich man that has a great crop. And his biggest dilemma is, I don't know where to put it. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. If you were there, what suggestions could you give to this particular individual? Now, it's apparent also. That's why I said, that, and my goods. He's not broke. Jesus was careful to say he was actually rich before he had this great crop. Okay? So he's doing okay. He's very doing very well could we give as opportunities to tell? What should we call our rich man? We, I like names. What's, what's, what's our rich man's name? Let's go. What, yes, what is it? Bob. Bob. So Bob the rich man, let's make Bob our rich man. And Bob, we're going to advise him. We're going to give him some direction. What would you tell Bob? What are some options? And here's Bob's dilemma once again. Let's lay it out there. Bob has an, and you, and you know, I've, I've actually been on side of that. Wow, that is an amazing crop. I don't know if we've got enough Storage, because one of the things you fight is when you're combining, is to be able to get the crop out of the field and protected, without losing the crop in the field. That's a really big deal. That's what grain storage is for. Okay, so what, what could we tell? What could we tell Bob? Sell it. Sell it. Okay, and you got, is that a good is that a good idea? That's that's actually a great option. And you could, and, and Bob probably didn't have the futures or the forward contracting options to him to his, his part, but but he certainly could have sold it. Now, what would if Bob came back and said, "Why that may not be a good idea"? Just knowing who Bob is, he's a rich guy. What would Bob say? It and by the way, that is a very good an- answer, Jeff. We're going to tear it apart now because this is what he would probably come back and say. Well, the prices are going to be down because there's so much product, right? Okay, but that was a nice try. That was an option. What else could we say to Bob? Give it away. away. In fact, now in his day, a combine wouldn't have driven into the fields. No. It would have been hired servants that he would have come to to, to harvest the grain. Those guys are working their tails off, men and women, actually. Now, wouldn't it be something you could say, I'll tell you what, you guys can have a quarter of everything, of all the crop you harvest, one-fourth is yours. What if he lived any less? been any worse off no and he wouldn't have had to build new barns now i'm assuming a few things and the to pay taxes. correct see beautiful see see all the options you guys are coming up with great night. i have a feeling that bob would not have taken that idea either he'd rather pay some taxes or divert them or get bigger in some other area to avoid does this not sound like right where we're at in america today protecting and guiding and hiding and doing and oh Okay, but see, those are actually good ideas. Don't you think that those poor people that are showing up to be the harvesters couldn't have maybe used a bonus? Did you see how much that was one of the people that he forgot about was others? No mention whatsoever. Not family, not relatives, not workers. No one in the population was he concerned with at all and how Jesus told the parable. So he forgot about others. Who else did he forget? God, God. He forgot God. Yeah. No mention of God whatsoever. Yeah, not, 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 no mention. Nothing. Now, isn't that interesting? The more you get, and this is, again, there are, there are, um, what, are the, what am I trying to say? Um, exceptions to the rule. But by and large, the more you get, the more you amass, the less thankful you are for what you have. Is that not true? And it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And the third thing he forgot? This was a really big one that he forgot. Excuse me? To be thankful, to be thankful yes. And I'm going, to say, I'm going to say that captures in with forgetting God. Because as soon as you fear God, as soon as you acknowledge God, guess what just has to come away from you, come out of you? is thankfulness. No thankfulness, that means you weren't even looking at God. How could you sit on that property and watch it do what it's doing and be anything less than thankful if you thought about God? It just comes natural. But there's a third thing that's really, really, really important in this man's life that he missed. He forgot about it, didn't think about it, didn't even think about it for a second. In fact, remember his last... Uh, his last words here. I mean, he's he's way ahead now. He's building the new barns are already in his mind. Have you ever built stuff and you haven't built it yet? It's in your head? Yeah, it's kind of fun, isn't it? And then it takes a lot longer to build it than it did for you to build that in your head. Have you ever noticed that? Okay. But he's way out there. He's years out there because he says this. He says, verse, uh, verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy eat, drink, and be merry. He forgot his own mortality. That's a really, really big deal. That's a really big deal. In fact, all that stuff he has is going to do for him what eternally? Zero. Absolutely zero. It's an old saying, but there's never been a U-Haul behind a hearse. What's that? Or a pocket in a shroud. That's correct. Not going to happen. You can send money ahead... But you'll never amass it and take it with you. Won't happen. Will not happen. Now to think literally as this story, let's read the last verse. It's, it's actually, um, it's overpowering. But all of it, that but, verse 20. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, to take that story, that parable, literally, he would have never even experienced that bumper crop because this is all, he's going to build the barns. He's going to have all of this stuff. And God said, you fool, tonight your soul is required. All of the things he had couldn't help him, couldn't promote him couldn't save him, couldn't do anything, couldn't do a thing. Couldn't do a thing for really the ultimate sense of what really life, eternal life, is all about. That's what Jesus said at the outset. Now, where do you think, what do you, let's come back. You know, I asked you to keep thinking about the guy that wanted his inheritance. Let's come back to him for a second. What do you think he's done after verse 20? Oh, that is such a bummer. He had it all going for him. Oh, what a way to end. But you know what? I doubt if it changed anything, right? Have you, right? Because he wouldn't have even seen that he'd given up God for the things he wanted. and for, In his case, anything that he could get in the sense of inheritance was all that mattered in the world. There was nothing else that mattered. Just like that rich man, nothing else mattered in the world except for him to get more. And how satisfied do you think he, I'm coming back to Richmond, how satisfied would he have been next year with another bumper crop? Less. It, actually, it is, it's less. It's less. Covetousness, uh, I, I wrote down a definition somewhere an unquenchable thirst for getting more and more of something that we think we need in order to be satisfied. I'll say it one more time. An unquenchable thirst, that's like that salt water deal, an unquenchable thirst for getting more and more of something that we think we need in order to be satisfied. <laughs> you know when we get that something two months later, we're upset. Exactly right. That's what I'm going to say. And the more that you get of it, the less satisfied you really are with it. Right. That's why they have to have a Super Bowl every year. Right? And, hey, go go Chiefs, right? That's right. <laughs> 50 years. But you know what? For that to last, they got to win next year, don't they? Yeah. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Now, I'm, I'm not diminishing. I mean, it's it's quite an honor. And there's a lot of things that are truly an honor. But you know what? If that's all you went for, if that's all it was to win a Super Bowl, if like you've given your whole life for it, it will be. Sadly disappointing. Because life is not consisted of the amount of possessions or drives that you've met. doesn't matter. So why is that so hard for us to remember sometimes? Because we usually get bummed out when it doesn't go our way. And our way is what? Our way is to get our way to get stuff so we think we're going to be happier. And whether it, Christian or not Christian, it's so easy to get in that Rat race, right? Running around the track, running around. And then you put a little road back, and we're so ticked off. Why? Because we've taken our eyes off God. That thing has taken place, and it's taken over. Am I too obnoxious? Amen. Not yet? Okay. It started yeah. the garden of Eden. It oh. did. The lust of the eye and pride of life. That's right. They wanted, and actually, it was interesting, that's how Satan tempts you. He's really good at it. He's going to take you somewhere where he knows you've got a little bit of flavor. you will throw that up. You know how, you know how interested Eve was in the, gar, in the tree that she wasn't supposed to eat of before Satan threw that out there? I'm going to say zero. It wasn't even on her radar, of no interest. But tell her she couldn't have it. That's what you do with a little kid, right? You can't have that. Stay away from that. You can't have that. So, I always like to use reverse philosophy. Now, you cannot work anymore on that. You can't, do not run that shovel. You can't have that shovel. <laughs> Don't dig that hole. Don't dig that hole. <laughs> yeah, the hole. And sometimes that doesn't quite work either, does it? <laughs> but it was amazing, though, really, the Garden of Eden. The very fact that it was, quote, off limits was what made it something to be desired. And she said that. She said when she looked at the fruit and saw that it was to be desired. Where did that come from? From within. Just like that rich man. Just like that man that showed up that wanted his inheritance to be split. It works exactly. It's the, it's the same ploy. Satan throws the same bait every single day. And it works. And it works. And it, Why would you quit something working? It's like if you're fishing. Is there any fishermen in here that are really good at it? You're a good fisherman? Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Larry? He doesn't do well anymore. Doesn't he? Oh, he switched his bait, right? But it's amazing. Jeff, if you're going to go fishing and you're really, and something's really hitting it, this is not what you do, right? Oh, we should try something different to see if it works better. No, you use the stuff that works, right? It's like what we do. So it's, Satan's not going to change that game. It works perfectly. He knows, he knows that within us is that desire, and if he can, and, and he's studying us, the demons, that spiritual warfare. That's not that's not child's game, folks. That's the real stuff. They know what you desire, and that's why that temptation just keeps coming at you. Just like this rich man, what would even be what would even be better to have a huge crop? He can even go further. All of those things. Wow, his own mortality for God. There's a couple. There's some questions I'm going to ask, uh, in the sense of, oh, I want. Let's go to another passage. You guys, okay? Let's go to First Timothy for a second. Uh, Paul talks about um, in First Timothy the love of money. And you're probably saying, if you don't hurry up and stop, Larry, we're going to die of starvation because everything's smelling really good back there. So let's go to... Uh, oh, 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 I forgot about... Sa- this is really big. Just stop what you're doing. Don't, don't do it. Wherever I sent you, 1st let's stop for a second. Okay, there's another thing. Now, Jesus said... Uh, he said he give us the two bewares. Okay? Now, they're separate, but most of the time they come together. What I mean by that is the Pharisees who... They were pretenders. They, were, they had a gift. They were masters of hypocrisy. But they were also very interested in, in obtaining more and more money. Let's watch what it says. I, I'm sorry to take you to first Timothy, but let's go back to Luke again, just a few chapters back. Look at Luke chapter 16 and watch what is, what is said. If you're in chapter 12, go to Luke chapter 16 and verse 14. Verse 14. Now, Jesus had just, he'd, he'd had a, a dissertation. In fact, why don't you write this down uh, in chapter 16. You do this at home. Read the first 13, cha- 13 verses in chapter 16. And it's about concerning wealth. And In the, verse 13, we're going to read. No servant, verse 13, chapter 16 of Luke. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve... God and Mammon are God and money it 's impossible now, if you were a slave, think of it it 's sometimes hard for us to co- to comprehend that because we have this sense, some sense of divided of allegiance what i 'm going to say by that let 's say that you have a job and you 're working from eight to five whatever that job let 's say what 's that job um, what, what, what could you say it 's um, a janitor working for the school you 're a janitor and you 're from eight to five okay but guess what there 's nothing says that you can 't have another job say, from seven till midnight. You can work both jobs. But you're not a slave. Now, a slave, the servant of which is truly that, they didn't get to have another place to work. You were locked on, and you worked only for that man or that woman. You were a slave. You didn't have... A slave did not have two masters. It never happened. Because you were a slave of one And that's what Jesus is saying. You cannot be owned by two. You can't do it. In other words, if you say you're God's, you can't be owned by money. If you're owned by money, you can't say you're owned by God. That's a really big statement. Now watch what he says in verse 14. Stay right with me. Let's go to the next verse, which I just lost. I went back to 1 Timothy. I'm sorry. You're already there. Stop. Don't read it. Don't read it. Just wait for me. I'll be there in a second. I think, 14. There we go, Luke sixteen fourteen, And it says, after he said that, you cannot serve God and mammon. In verse 13 he says, And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all of these things and they derided him. Oh, you think? So here we have actually the Pharisees, which the two bewares in chapter 12. They're guilty of both. Hypocrisy and they were covetous. Now, think today even, on those that are a false religion, a false cult, a false spiritual adventure. You know what most of them are in it for? Money. Jesus went right to the heart. Do you see how much sense he made in chapter 12 of Luke right now? Those two things will keep you from salvation, will keep you from eternal life, will keep you from all the things that God really wants you more than any other things is hypocrisy and greed. Isn't that amazing? crazy. Now, let's go to 1 Timothy. Let's watch how Paul is helping Timothy, this young man he's mentoring. He's a pastor at, at Ephesus, and he's giving them some directions. We can't obviously look at the whole thing, but let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at how this resonates with what we're talking about. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And what he starts off with, and this isn't really true, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping in a bit, but I'm going to start in verse 3 of First Timothy chapter 6, and he's talking about false teachers. Ah, wouldn't that be exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said hypocrisy? Those that say they have the truth, but they don't? They're pretending they know God, but they aren't, but they, they don't? Watch, verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is First Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Destitute of the truth. Supposing, watch, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdrawal. That is exactly the picture that Jesus laid out for them. Now watch, verses 6 and on. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Comparing that to the false teachers who are, are trying to get more and more goods and wealth. Verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, I'm sorry. which while some coveted after... They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O oh man of God, flee these things. See, it's the same setup, isn't it? Exactly laying it out exactly the same way. Amazing how that fits together. I, I'm thinking uh, you look at especially, and, and it's not—it's not really age-related. I want to say that, but um, I look at some of, for instance, some of the uh, professional stars, uh, the young athletes at a young age, maybe late teens, early 20s, and are given a massive amount of wealth for doing what they do and they do it very well. That's why they're paid. Okay? You know, most of a good share of their lives are just totally messed up. Just totally messed up. Completely destroyed. I, was, I read with a great deal of... Uh, where, was where did I read that this week? It's one of my... Oh, I know. Uh, Whitney Houston, who died of a, of a drug overdose. Her daughter, her only daughter... 22, I think it was, I may not get these dates right. And, and she's 22 years of age, back in like 2015. And same thing. I mean, just, just have her, and then her, her fiancé at that time died in January of this year With a drug overdose. Yeah, I mean, ah, oh, Right? I'm not just saying, I'm just picking someone off the wall. It's just amazing how Satan destroys lives with too much money. They're not ready. For one person that can handle a lot of money, there's a thousand that can do without. I'm one of those. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There's a group of us, isn't there? And I've often said, I'd like to try the other side of it for a little bit. And I'm, when I say, God, I trust you more than me, you know what I can handle. You know what the last thing I want for any of you in this room here today would be have more than you would be able to handle. What could be worse? What could be worse? Because then it would turn greed, which is idolatry. And literally, did you see what? They actually... I, let's let's. Are you still there? First, First Timothy, I want to read that again. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not, not money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Watch. Which... While some coveted after, lusted after, they have erred, are fallen from the faith. They've moved away from it. You know what? Some of my, my, one of my most challenging days is when things are going extremely well. Do you know who the last person I usually check in with? God. I'm too busy making it work. Those are horrible words, what I just said. But but I'm trying to get you involved here because when it's going really good, you know what we're usually not very good at? is thanking God for making it really good. And when it's really crummy, <laughs> oh, God, what are you doing? Where are you at? Why is it so rotten and nasty right now? God, are you not listening? You don't care about me? Right? How did I do? It was pretty theatrical, wasn't it? Pretty animated. But isn't that exactly how it worked? Just look at the, look at the Israelites. Now, we, we're, we're good at throwing darts at those guys. I mean, they got it wrong all the time, right? Constantly. But when things were good, guess What? They forgot God. That's exactly the words. They forgot God. And then when they were in persecution and the Egyptians were were just hammered on them, guess what? They cried out to God. We're no different. We're no different. Beware of covetousness and greed of all kinds. Boy, God's not fooling. Jesus is not fooling around here. It destroys more lives and people than anything else that I could even possibly imagine. What can be good, what should be good, as soon as it owns us, is a dreadful sentence. Dreadful sentence. I watched a documentary on Howard Hughes. It's hard to believe. You know, the man's worth millions and millions and millions. And he literally just died a, a desolate, lonesome, destitute man. Because of greed. Couldn't get enough. Somber, isn't it? It's really somber. But let's go back. Um, I have not followed my notes very much today, so what does that mean? Um, Let's uh, let's look at a couple of examples, then we're going to close up here. Um, Let's go to... uh, Where do I want to go first? Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Let's go there. I want you to see, here's another example that Jesus in a different uh, gospel account, really without, he just, he laid the problem. It's rare that he took greed and covetousness and was able to turn people around, but he wanted to help them see how entrapped and how ensnared they were. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 19, and let's look at verse 16. We're going to start there. We're going to start there. Again, Jesus is... uh... Let's just start. Let's go back to verse 13. This brings us somewhat in the context of what he's doing. His meeting with children. Matthew chapter 19 verse 13. Then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray and the disciples rebuked them. In other words, the disciples didn't want any little kids around. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is an adult meeting. We don't need to. Jesus doesn't have time for. Oh, look at that. Look what he says. Jesus says, hey, whoa, 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 suffer the little children. Let them come, forbid them not, for to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. I could just see this, you know, this, this great dissertation by Jesus Christ, and he's laying out all of this stuff, and some people wanted to have their kids come and just, just have Jesus around them. And the disciples, no, 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 shoo, 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 get out of here. Jesus, no, let him come, this is what it's all about. I can just see him getting down on his hand, on his knees and just... Visit. Can you see it? I can, I can feel it. Now watch what happens. Watch what happens. Verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, uh, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? What a great question. And he said unto him, uh, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt... Enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which, Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, Thou shalt not commit adultery, Thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not bear false witness, Honor thy father and thy mother, And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now that's a handful, isn't it? How many of you would vote 100% on that stuff? That wasn't even what Jesus was getting at, was he? He wasn't even getting there. He was just trying to see if the guy was truthful. Right? Watch. Watch what he does. What, you remember what we said in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Someone that was really chasing after money and a false teacher per, per, uh, particularly that was looking for additional gain? What did it say? He was proud. Watch this. Watch this. Verse uh, 20. The young man saith unto him, Jesus, all of these things have I kept from my youth up what lack I yet. Now that's interesting. He's keeping the commandments and he knows he's still short something. How about lying? <laughs> Miss that one. Let's keep going though. See, it's interesting. He knows he doesn't have it. And he's rich. In fact, we're about to find out. Jesus said it in verse 20, now he gets right to the quick. It's like cutting through the curtains and going there. Let me push that button. If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell. That thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Did you see that? Jesus hit right on the spot who was his God. And he couldn't give him up. Give it up. I'm sorry. Couldn't give it up. And he went away sorrowful. Even knowing he didn't have it, because he said, what more do I have? What what do I lack? I've kept all... And as when Jesus said, now that wasn't what would have saved him. Jesus said that because that's why he was lost. And when he put put the finger on that button, the guy said, oh. And he went away. That's how much control that greed has. That's how much control. Now, let's go to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Because if I was going to ask you, who's the richest man that ever lived? You would say? Solomon. Solomon. We could go into a little bit of a study on that, but we're not going to do that. The guy was amazingly wealthy. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This is the end of that book that he wrote. In fact, before you go to 12, on your way, find chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 10, I think. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Talk about some wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. As you're turning there... No, we'll read this one first. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes five, ten. Watch, he says, He that loveth, loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this also is vanity. That word for abundance is more than enough. It's extravagance. It's more than you could possibly even imagine. What did he just say? It's not going to work. Now, watch now. We're going to go all the way to the end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12 and verse 13. Now, think of this for a moment. What would be, before you Don't don't read that verse, but let's think about Solomon for a minute. Or let's take that rich man. Or any rich person. What's the one thing that probably would drive them the craziest? Those that have amassed a fortune, have amassed a wealth. What's the thing that's probably the most discouraging for that person? Somebody else has more. That's that's what keeps them going in here. Yeah, that's a good point. That's why they're never said, Oh, well, he's got more. What do you think it is between? I don't know who's who's the richest guy, Bill Gates, and who else? I don't know because it must be this. It's this little, right? Keep going, buy more stuff, keep up with the Joneses. That, I remember my. Have you ever heard that one? This is this dates us a little bit. Got to keep up with the Joneses. Our older folks are nodding in your heads, right? Okay. You know, what my dad said for that. We don't keep up with the Joneses. We are the Joneses. <laughs> you know, I'd come home. Hey, uh, hey, Dad, I need, I need, I, and, you know, I, I need this pair of shoes or, you know, everybody's got one. No, no, no. We don't keep up with the Joneses. We are the Joneses. (laughs) Saved them a lot of money too, didn't (laughs) it? At any rate, at any rate. One of the things that would drive someone that has amassed wealth, and this is one of the things they spend a lot of their later years, given the fact that they they don't die suddenly and they live a full life. One of the things that they're extremely concerned about, what happens to it when I leave? Because you're not going to take it with you. Bill Gates is not going to take one penny with him. And I'm not picking on him. His name just pops in my head. Howard Hughes didn't take one penny. John D. Rockefeller didn't take one. None of the Rockefeller that died a few years, He didn't take one penny with him. You know what bothers me most? What's going to happen to things that I worked my butt off for to amass this thing? And who's it going to fall in the hands of? Right? Watch what Solomon... Can you imagine Solomon? His family's all messed up. He's got 1,000 women, 700 wives, and 300 concubines. Can you imagine that mess? I can't even imagine the successive plan. Yeah, that's a problem. Can you imagine the successive plan on that one? Succession plan? Oh, and wife's 458 gets, uh, you know, right? It would be horrible. Watch what he writes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. He cuts through all of this Ecclesiastes book, and he says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Isn't that good? The richest man in the world, and he went through all of his stuff. He pursued every imaginable pleasure, every imaginable pursuit, and he gets all done. He says, Well, what? When it's all done, fear God and do his commandments. Nothing's better. That's our whole duty. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now, one more verse, and then we're going to shut down. Unless you guys got another question, I'll leave it open. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. And verse 5. Now, what we're going to have in the King James, it's going to start, it's going to say, let your conversation, which would be your way of life. Okay? I'm going to say it that way. Let your way of life be without... What? Right there it is again. Let your way of life, let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Watch, watch. Let's keep going. I got to just stay here. I keep running out there. Without covetousness and be content... With such things as you have. And then there's a colon. He's got a continuing thought. This is why. For he has said, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If there isn't a verse that you should not have circled in regards to what we're doing, it's that one. Hebrews 13, 5. In your way of life, do not be covetous. Because, and then be content with what sort of things you have, because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And if that doesn't make it all work, there isn't anything else I can help you with today. That's what makes it all come together. That's a wonderful verse. It's one I claim lots of times. When you just feel out of sorts, if Jesus is there, there isn't anything we can't get through. We're okay. We're okay. In fact, we're more than okay. We're really good. See how, see how it is? It's all about that. Okay. Questions or comments? Comment yes. What is to world that does not have polio. That does not have polio. Yes. The that's a very nice... I mean, that that's, that's looking at... Now, you see what? He's at least thinking about others. And I don't know where Bill Gates is with God. I don't have any idea. But I know what that much... That is certainly a start. And those that are... Uh, philanthropists That's a big word for me Little guy, right? But it is Now that is a really That's a worthy thing Someone that's been blessed With monetary wealth To be thinking about others Especially in view of that That's a wonderful thing I just hope Bill and What's his, na- what's his wife's name? Melanie? Melinda. Melinda Just about got it, didn't I? Um, I'm hoping that they take Just as much care In not forgetting God Because that's the one thing that greed will definitely take you out of the whole game plan. And that's why Satan loves those two devices. He loves hypocrisy. That's what keeps a lot of people out of churches. Because there's someone that from the outside looks in and says, well, that's a hypocrite. Who cares? It's you and God. It's not anyone else. And if that's what Satan can use to go send you to hell, that's great. He loves it. Just as the same one, a material one is that of greed. He'll use anything he can use. Those two are the most effective tools that he has today. That's why Jesus said, beware. Okay. Easy, Larry. Just calm down, right? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for the promises that you've given. And we just read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. That I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those are a promise from jesus christ to those that have placed their faith in him the holy spirit lives within those that have trusted christ as well to think of the benefits the amazing amazing rewards waiting for us and just as we should be thinking about sending our wealth ahead to be rich towards god to be open to be sharing to be helpful to those in need looking to god Guidance, direction, Father. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. May it take roots within our own lives. May we be careful, as Jesus asked us to be, beware of hypocrisy and to beware of covetousness, all forms of greed. Father, it's so incredibly sneaky how it gets into our lives. Expose it, and then help us to root it out. Father, thank you for those that are here today. May you bless them this week. May their quiet time, that time between you and them, may it be at an all-time high. May relationally we've never been closer to you than we are at these moments. Take us, use us in ways that we can't even imagine because you're a God that's bigger, bolder, awesome, more awesome and sovereign than we can even comprehend, infinite. Father, we bow at your feet, thanking you for what you're doing and asking these things in Christ's name. Amen.